0: Anybody else? It it was Brother Abraham's uh, time to preach, and I usually do not uh, uh, take it away. I am glad not to preach, but um, this one the Lord gave to me earlier in this week, so I felt like he wanted me to share it. So let's pray together. (coughs) Father, we give you all the praise and glory due your name. We ask, Lord, that you would quiet all the noise. We pray for ears that can hear your voice, eyes that can see spiritual truth, and hearts that can receive understanding and revelation. We ask, Lord, that you would speak during this time. I avail myself to you. We give you this time. This is your word, Lord. I pray that you would edify your people and equip us to fight the spiritual battle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we pray the Ephesians six prayer all together, the uh, armor of God prayer? Uh, um, I will lead us, and you can just follow after me. Father God, Father God, I put on the full armor of God. I put on the full armor of God. I put on the belt of truth. I put on the belt of truth. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I put put on shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I put on the shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. I take up the shield of faith. I take up the shield of faith. I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the helmet of salvation. And I wield the sword of the spirit. And I wield the sword of the spirit. Which is the spoken word of God. Which is the spoken word of God. Amen. Amen. Today the title is Bulletproofing Our Faith Against Satan bulletproofing our faith against Satan. I chose the term uh, bulletproof because I've been watching Knees Over Toes guy on, on uh, YouTube. And he talks about bulletproofing your knees. And I think he's onto something because, uh, you know, professional athletes with, with strong leg muscles, they're still tearing their knees. Uh, so so although the muscles are strong, the tendons are weak and the ligaments are weak and all the, the hidden muscles are not developed so that uh, when they slightly move out of place, the body should be able to handle it, but for whatever reason, a knee gets torn. Um, so there is a bulletproofing uh, method, which I've been following him, and amazingly, my knee has been, uh, the pain has been reducing, my strength has been building. Uh, so it is, it is amazing. So we're, we're going to be bulletproofing our faith today against Satan. Who can sense that uh, Satan is attacking more vigorously uh, these days? Anybody? Uh, I think all of us can sense it. Uh, you can sense it personally, I'm sure. Uh, I think you can sense it in our world, that Satan is ramping up his attacks. And so the first question is, who does Satan attack? Of course he attacks all believers. I think especially he attacks the vulnerable, he attacks children, those who cannot defend themselves well, uh, anybody living in fear, uh, anyone in under oppression. Uh, Satan is attacking such people and also those who are in perpetual sin. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, I've been uh, taking out some of the weeds uh, in front of my home and if, if you have a small little weed, you just one whack of the, of, the, of the pick shovel or whatever it's called, and the weed just comes flying out. Uh, but if you take a bigger weed, you just whack it, it's still not coming out. You whack it. You just don't have to whack it like 10 times and get too deep into the root and, and then pull it out. And I think Satan, he, he whacks people one time and a lot of times we fall. But if you have deep roots, then he has to whack again and again. Eventually, he gives up because he can't uh, take you down. Uh, And and he is a lion, and he is prowling the world, and he's looking always to devour someone. That is his end game. And so if he can't attack you, guess who he will attack next? He'll attack, if you're married, he'll attack your spouse. Uh, if he can't get your spouse and ruin your marriage, what's he going to attack next? He's going to attack your children. And after that, he's going to attack a family member. So he's always looking to attack because he wants to bring down uh, uh, individuals and, and families and households and churches and nations. John chapter 12, Jesus visits um, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And and out of gratitude, probably because Jesus uh, raised uh, Lazarus from the dead, uh, uh, they're they're cooking this feast, and, and Mary in particular, she is se- sensitive to the spirit, and she is she knows that this is an occasion to express extravagant gratitude uh, to, to the Lord Jesus, and so she takes an expensive uh, one pound of of expensive ointment, she pours it out on Jesus's feet and wipes uh, uh wipes his feet with her hair. And and, Ju- and, and and Judas, of all people, criticizes her and, and acts as if he cares about the poor. And we get this insight from Scripture that because he's in charge of the money bag, he's a treasurer, he's been helping himself to it. Um, that's And so obviously he doesn't care about the poor. He just wanted more money uh, to steal from himself. And so if we fast forward to, to the end, Uh, We're going to talk about Judas as well. Uh, Why was he in particular the one that betrayed Jesus? It's because he was in perpetual sin and he was uh, targeted uh, by Satan. When does Satan attack? He attacks at an opportune time. He attacks when we're weak. Uh, Luke chapter 4. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. This is his temptation. This is uh, Jesus' midterm exam. He must pass this in order to, to begin his public ministry. And then, of course, Calvary is his final exam. Uh, and while he is there, it says, for the 40 days, he's being tempted uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 2, he's being tempted by the devil all throughout the 40 days. But at the end of the 40 days, uh, Satan really ramps up his attack. And we see the exchange between Jesus and Satan. And Jesus doesn't, uh, doesn't buckle. Uh, he is bulletproofed in his faith. And Satan uh, leaves him and it says he departed from him until an opportune time. And so, if you're weak, uh, if you are vulnerable, if you are stressed, if you are under pressure, uh, then it may be the opportune time because you wonder, like, why am I uh, spiritually doing poorly now? We ha- you have to see, there, there was a, uh, there's a, uh, things that were happening in your life and Satan saw this was an opportune time for him to attack. How does Satan attack? Satan attacks uh, through words and he attacks through people. Uh, the Greek word for mind is an interest has an interesting definition. The mind is the organ that receives uh, the the thoughts of God. Did you know that? That when you uh, you think it's just a random thought, but actually it's God speaking to you. Uh, and as long as you can clarify, okay, is this is this my thought or not? Avenge, over time, you get to you get to be able to distinguish. This is not my thought. Uh, You know your thoughts, you know how you think, and this thought is just just so different. And, And you begin to distinguish, oh this is God's thought, and your mind is receiving the thoughts of God. So by implication, if your mind is the organ that can receive God's thoughts, it can also receive Satan's thoughts. And people need to also distinguish that, is it my thought, which is most of the time, sometimes it's God's thoughts, sometimes it's Satan's thoughts. Satan attacks primarily through words that we receive in our mind as thoughts. Revelation 12, verse 10, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. So Satan attacks through words primarily through accusation. So if you feel Uh, condemned, if you feel guilty, if you feel worthless, if you want to throw in the towel, chances are Satan is there. He's 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 using words, and you think it's just random thoughts. You think it's your own thoughts, but it's satanic thoughts that have come in. And he uses these words. He preys on our insecurity. He preys on our guilt. He sees uh, the open wounds, and so he attacks there. Uh, and these thoughts can be—it so, becomes so oppressive. It's like a, it's like some people describe it as like a blanket. It's a heavy, wet blanket. It just weighs you down. It's the thoughts that come from Satan. Satan also preys on our idolatry. If he knows you love money, then he's gonna give you opportunities to make money. Satan also attacks through people, and we're not saying these people are necessarily satanic, we're just saying that at a moment, anybody can be used of Satan to be an instrument of Satan. I could be in an in a unguarded, moment in my harshness I could be an instrument of Satan to Jackie. Uh, on, uh, uh, not because I because I want to be, but because in that moment I'm not in a good place. Satan uses me. I say something in a way I should not say it, and I in that moment become an instrument of Satan. Satan uses people. Uh, um, the most obvious way that Satan uses people is through false teachers. And if we as we are approaching the end times, the proliferation of false teachers is is Exploding. And so when you see scandals, it's not uh, not by accident. God is exposing His church because judgment begins uh, with, with the household of God. And so as we approach the end, you're going to see many, many famous people in God's church falling because it's God judging His church. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Uh, so um, probably the biggest danger, uh, dangerous person you'll ever meet is a pastor. Uh, someone like me. Someone who is preaching. Someone who is leading a church. I am the most dangerous person to you. Because if you do not discern well, you, you listen to the wrong person, you fall under their authority, you can waste 20, 30 years of your life and you wonder what happened. It's, it's Satan. He was using people as instruments uh, for his purpose. What happens during a satanic attack? And so this is where we're going to park a little bit. Uh, let's look at what was happening in the spiritual realm in Peter's life leading up to his his utter failure when he denied it, denied Jesus three times. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22. First I just want to give an outline. Luke 22, verse um, verse 3. Yeah. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was a number of the twelve. So again, why was Judas chosen is because he was in perpetual hidden sin this is not accidental but he was he was uh stealing continuously for these three years and so satan saw that and said this is the one i'm going to go after so he first he spots a victim he's a a roaring lion he's seeking to devour and then uh you see in verse 24 a dispute among a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And so first, Satan attacks one of of the 12. And then you see the, the influence of Satan spreading to all 12 um and, and this is a progression and so if you see just just out of the blue it's it 's like um just conflicts and like tensions are rising in your family or in your church and and just it, it could it could happen through one person who was an opening, but from that one person it 's spreading like cancer to the rest of the body of christ and so it goes from there and then in chap, in in verse thirty one to thirty four Satan goes now after the top leader of this group of twelve. He goes after Peter, and we're going to spend some time going uh, talking about Peter. And then, in 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 uh, verse fifty three, it says, Luke twenty two, verse fifty three. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Uh, when it says power of darkness, it's the authority given to, to Satan and to evil to carry out their plans for a specific time and a purpose. And there are times when Satan is allowed by God to carry out darkness uh, to, to, to ramp up darkness. I think worldwide we are in such a time. We are in such a time worldwide in an hour of darkness where, where Satan has been given extra authority and we must fight against this. We must delay the plans of Satan uh, by fighting in Jesus' name in prayer. But that's how it progresses from, from a victim, one opening, Judas. And then spreading to a conflict of all twelve, then Satan goes after uh, the top leader, and then this is their hour of darkness that even Jesus is going to be uh, um, uh, allow himself to be uh, um, mocked and, and suffer and eventually crucified by by the kingdom of darkness. So we're going to go after. We're going to look at uh, Peter now. It says in verse uh, 31 that, uh, let's, let's read that all together. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Did you know that Satan makes many demands of God to have you, to have me, to have all of us? He's going after pastors First. He's going after uh, families, so he's going after husbands. He's going after fathers. He's going after uh, world leaders. Uh, he wants to have all of us. And he makes regular demands to God to have us. And, and he's making a demand to have Peter. And Peter is being sifted in this moment and when you sift it, it's like uh, if, if, you're, if you have wheat, you're throwing it into the air, you're letting the wind blow, the chaff gets blown away, the good grains fall, and that's what you keep. And so it's a real question. When, when Peter, through this inward agitation, as he's being thrown up into the air, is he going to be blown away? Is he going to fall away? Or is he going to fall down and be grounded in Christ? It's a real question. And when we go through trials, and it can be a personal trial, it can be a trial in your marriage, it can be a trial in your children, it can be a trial in your family, it can be a trial in the church, it can be a trial in this world... And I think all of it's happening simultaneously, as far as I can tell. When Satan is doing that, he has one goal, and he wants to tempt you to fall away. He's blowing with all of his strength. He wants you to be like chaff, detached from Christ, to be blown away. That's his goal. He wants to blow you away. He wants to blow your marriage away. He wants to blow the church away. He wants to blow nations away. That is his goal. God's goal is He's using the same trial to strengthen us. He's testing us. And that we come out of that trial on the other side stronger than when we entered. And this says in verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When it says Jesus, he prays for us. It's not a mechanical routine prayer. It, the word means to beg. When Jesus intercedes for us, he is begging that our faith not fail. Um, there's, a, there's a theology which says, once saved, always saved. And of course, when you're outside of time, like God is, he sees the end. And so he sees the, the one who was with him in the beginning. He sees the one who will persevere to the end. But for us, when we're in time and space, we don't know. We don't know, can Peter is Peter going to make it? It's a real question. If, if I am being sifted by Satan, am I going to come out on the other side persevering? If you have a theology that says, yes, once saved, always saved, then you don't even wrestle with this question. You don't even wonder, why does Jesus have to beg for me? He knows I'm going to come out the other side. Uh, but there is this real question for us who live, who are limited in time and space. Will I come out on the other side? And, and Jesus is begging for us for our faith to not fail. And he's, he's, God is seeing, will we exercise our free will and repent, turn again, it says. Turn again means to actually, to, actually can mean convert. Can actually, can, uh, you, can it be that you lose salvation, but in a moment of repentance, you get converted again? I think that's the idea here. Today is a day of salvation. So if you repent today, you're being converted today. You're being saved again and again and again. If you live like this, then you will be finally saved on your last day and you will persevere. And that person, God knows, but we don't know. I don't know for myself. Will I will I will I repent and will I hold on to Jesus on my last day? I don't know. Because I don't know the trials ahead. Because today I, I think I am strong. But, but we are actually quite frail. Um, it, it's just, maybe we just haven't been tested in the ways that we eventually will be tested. Uh, because if we, we might say, I'm strong with, in myself, but if you, see, uh, if you see your loved ones suffering, if you see them turning away from the faith, if you see them being sick, if you see them dying, there's so many tests that can come our way that we do not know whether we can stand the test of faith. Like Job, he was tested so severely, all of his children dying, such a severe test, and then his own body uh, being, uh, being inflicted. And he stood the test. He was a righteous man. But look, look at it, even his wife. His wife said, curse God. And God is not for you. Just curse him and turn away. Uh, reject God. And it, it is, it's, for many of us, I think our faith is not tested. When we do get tested and you come out the other side, then you will be able to say, no matter what, I will stand. Because you've gone through some severe testing. And if we are in the final tribulation, it is such a question mark for Jesus. He says, will I find faith on the earth? That's how severe the final testing will be for whatever, uh, whatever Christians are remaining on earth or, or converted during the tribulation. It is such a question. Will there be faith? Will I even find one person who can stand the test of time, who can stand through this tribulation? Well, we know that there are some who will stand because Jesus says, God says in his word, that for the sake of the elect, I cut the days of this tribulation short. So what happens if Satan attacks you and you fail? At that point, you're lost again. Uh, you're like lost sheep. Uh, And and there's only one hope. Either you turn, or Jesus finds you, and He drags you back home. That's that's one of the two options. Uh, Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. The lost sheep is somebody who's like the prodigal son, who, who was once in the Father's house, has drifted away, is like the sheep that's wandered off the path. He's lost. And... Unlike the 99 who do not think they need to repent the lost sheep or the lost son knows they need to repent Eventually, they turn they go back home or Jesus kicking and screaming pulls you back home. It's one of the two But when you're lost you need to be found again. You need to repent again. You need to return home again and uh, Why did why did Peter in particular fall? People say he was a coward, but I don't think he was a coward. Uh, Remember, we sang about this. Peter was the one who walked on water. That's not a coward. Uh, The other 11 were not courageous enough to come out and walk on water. Peter is courageous. Uh, When Jesus is being arrested, all other uh, 10 were silent and didn't do anything. They were passive. What did Peter do? He pulled out a sword. He cut off a high priest's servant's ear. He is not a coward. And so when he's before this servant girl, and he's and he's buckling under pressure, it's not cowardice. Peter's not a coward. When when Jesus was by Peter's side, he was fearless. Um, He walked on water. He cut off a servant's ear. Uh, Peter witnessed Jesus as a powerful healer, deliverer, miracle worker. Uh, he never saw Jesus in in the way uh, that he's about to see him uh, um, in in uh, in weakness, not defending himself, allowing himself to be scorned and ridiculed and beaten he's never seen Jesus like this and, and so uh, when Jesus uh, when was left peter and, and and Peter saw Jesus this week, I think it just it just um, uh, turned his world upside down, he did not know how to how how to make sense of it uh, so when Judas saw that peter when Judas saw that Jesus was not going to make him rich because I think that 's why he was in it he was there for the money uh, if if Jesus can multiply uh, bread and fish and feed multitudes if you stay close to that kind of a person uh you 're going to be rich like in some Charismatic churches, they say, I have, I have gifting, just send money to the church. And you stay around that kind of a pastor, you're going to be rich too. And, and so Judas must have thought this, and it, his, his picture of Jesus was shattered at the end. And so what did he do? He betrays him. Peter's picture of Jesus was likewise shattering. And Peter didn't know what to do. And he felt abandoned and... Um, And I think this gives a picture also of us. When do we fall? It's when our picture of Jesus, which is a wrong picture, is shattered. And we find out in that moment, hopefully over time, that the Jesus I knew before was a Jesus of my own making. It was a Jesus of my own imagination. It was a Jesus of doctrine. It was not the true Jesus. Some people in God's church only know Jesus as a Messiah. He's only grace. Uh, he's, he's, he's a forgiver of my sins. He's a savior of my sins. They don't know resurrection power. They don't know hope beyond the grave. They, they live life defeated and broken and condemned and guilty. And there, there are other extreme. They only know Jesus as a king. And, and, and they say, well, Jesus is a victor, and so I'm a victor. I, I never had a bad day in my life. I, I never need to repent, and, and I'm going to conquer uh, universities. I'm going to conquer the media. I'm going to conquer these seven mountains. I'm going to bring the kingdom of God on earth through my zeal. And and it's almost like Jesus you don't need to come and reset everything and remake everything because in my zeal my church We're going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're so Successful we can do this so well. I can bring God's kingdom and, and they say, there's only blessing in your life. There's never a bad day in your life. There's going to be blessing and, and financial provision. And you're going, to have, you're going to be rich. And you're going to be influential. And you're going to be famous. And everything that the people in the world chase after in God's church. You're also going to have all the same things. And both extremes, I think, are not the real Jesus. The real Jesus is one who died. Who suffered was ridiculed, who died on a cross shamefully, but he rose again. The resurrected Jesus who is humble yet firm. He is full of grace, yes, but he's also one of truth. The fullness of Jesus is 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 in some ways a contradiction. He's a lamb of God and the lion of Judah at the same time. It's the true Jesus. All throughout Scripture, if you look at the epistles and Paul's letters, he is constantly aware, uh, warning God's church. How did you fall and for this counterfeit Jesus? Didn't I give you the true Jesus? How come you fell when this other person came in and started teaching you, slowly started distorting and giving you a different Jesus? We also fall like Peter when we uh, yes. follow a Jesus of our own making. So, now the conclusion. How can you and I bulletproof our faith so that the next time Satan attacks, you and I will not fall but will stand firm? There's a real question uh, for Peter. If Jesus did not go looking for him, Would Peter have ever found his way back home? For many of us, when we are lost, the fact that we got found again is not because we were so good at repentance. I think many times it's because Jesus was so good at finding us. Jesus is such a good shepherd. In periods of when I was lost for decades and decades... It's not because I was so good at repenting that I found my way back to the Father. But it's because Jesus is such a good shepherd. And and the parable of the lost sheep is a parable for all of God's church that Jesus looks for His sheep when we're lost. And it is often, we are often lost and Jesus looks uh, for His lost sheep. John 21 is probably the most tender chapter about Jesus uh, restoring uh, Peter and finding a lost sheep. <clears throat> it's unfortunate in the English there's only one word love, but in the Greek there are many different words for love. There's uh, agape love, which is God's love. There's phileo love, which is uh, a brotherly love. There's <clears throat> love between husband and wife. There's eros, passionate love. And in verse 15, Jesus asks, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me the way I love you, Peter? More than these. And Peter is so ashamed. And it's rightfully so. You know, if if before Peter denied Jesus and and Jesus asked him, do you agape me? Peter would be the first one to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I agape you. I'm the one in the water. I'm the the first to to chase after you. I am the leader of this group. I I have full confidence that, that I agape you. But now he has been humbled by his defeat. And he says, Lord, I... Phileo you. I have affection for you. It's not agape. There's a huge gap there. It's just affection for a friend. And then Jesus says again in verse 16, Do you agape me, Peter? And again, Peter answers, I phileo you. I have some affection for you, Lord Jesus. And then Jesus in verse 17, He lowers it. He meets Peter where he is, and He says, Do you phileo me, Peter? And Peter is somewhat offended and hurt, but he says, yes, you know that I phileo you. How do we uh, bulletproof our faith? It is not enough to just have affection for Jesus. That is sufficient for when Jesus is restoring Peter, but, but if Peter stays at that level, he is vulnerable to Satan again. A little bit higher than that is if you have eros for for Jesus, if you have passion for Jesus, if you long for Jesus as a husband would his wife. That is a higher form, it is a stronger faith, but it's not enough. If you want to bulletproof your faith, then your love needs to meet and match Jesus' love for you. Jesus' love for us is agape. It's a love without limits. It's a love that is unlimited. It's a love that says, I will do anything for you. I will give my life for you. I will live for you. I will die for you. That is agape love. And when we receive, when we can get to that level and say, Jesus, I desire only you. Jesus, I want to live only for you. Jesus, I will do whatever you ask. I will not complain. If, even if I don't want to do it, I will do it because you asked me, because I love you, Lord Jesus. If you get there, then you and I will have bulletproofed our faith. And Satan will have very few opportune times to, uh, to tempt us. And then in verse 19, Jesus circles back to Peter to the original call, which is, follow me. It's like Peter is being converted all over again. It's the original call, follow me. So salvation comes from Jesus. Forgiveness comes from Jesus. And as we learn from Peter's story, um, restoration comes from Jesus. Okay, let's pray. forgive us for being so easily tempted by Satan so easily becoming an instrument of Satan and we understand now that the reason why we fall is because our love for Jesus is so weak and so shallow Forgive us Lord for having a weak faith, a weak love, a shallow love, a shallow faith. Affection is not enough. Passion is not enough. We want to have agape, unlimited, whatever you ask Lord, kind of faith. Build up that kind of faith so that Satan will have no openings in our lives. There will be no opportune moments. Father forgive us as parents, For letting our children fall. It is our fault. When our children fall, especially fathers, it is our fault. Forgive us, Lord, when our children fall. I come in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. I bind and rebuke Satan and all of his activities among your people gathered here and online. We bind and rebuke you. We cast you into the abyss. We ask, Jesus, that you would come and look for your lost sheep. I pray, Jesus, you would find us again. Find us again. Restore us again. Forgive us again. Receive us again as children of God, Father. As we partake in the Lord's Supper, we understand, Jesus, you are a suffering Messiah. But you're also the reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. We plead your blood over every person here in our spirit, soul, body, mind, will, emotion, cover, cleanse, sanctify us. Meet us now, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to come forward for prayer, I'll be up here. If you want to tap a shoulder to someone next to you and receive prayer, uh, please do so.